Here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside and so excited to have a new friend on that we met through social media, which is always fun. Kim Wilson, welcome. Thank you so much, Ginny. I'm super excited to be here. So Kim has the coolest Instagram. Oh, you're too kind. Well, it's awesome. It's so inspiring. It's at natures.path.ot and so inspiring. You put out the best videos, informational, really cool clips of kids outside. Always draws me in. And so I'm so thrilled to have you on because you have the best information for parents. The things that people are looking for as a pediatric occupational therapist with a unique spin where you take a lot of or almost all of your occupational therapy services outdoors. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what you do? Absolutely. So as you stated, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist and also, I guess, an entrepreneur that Mm -hmm. I started my private practice about a little over a year and a half ago. And so that word is still kind of, it sounds funny to me because I never saw myself as an entrepreneur, but I kind of embarked on this journey um, just -hmm. because I had a heart for combining the two. And so um, I've been a pediatric occupational therapist for 17 years, and I am also a homeschooling mom of six children. My oldest is 14 and my youngest is five and they're just kind of stair-stepped in between there. We are currently in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we I've lived all over the world. I am a military spouse. My husband's in the military. Wow. And so we have lived all over the world. And that's kind of a brief explanation of me. Yeah. And so for 15 years or 15 and a half years, did you do yeah. your occupational therapy services? And there you had written out something else that you worked with. And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to quickly find it. It's okay. It's Yeah, tell us, because you had done other things too. Tell us about the first 15 years. Okay, well, so I actually started my career in with adults in um, in an acute care setting, adult brain injury and spinal cord injury. That's right, that's right. And so that's where I started for my first three years. And then Mm -hmm. we moved and I started having babies. And I really thought, I I love neuro rehab and that's why I thought I would stay forever. And then Mm -hmm. once I started having babies, this just passion grew in me for children and also the flexibility of early intervention for those listeners who don't know what early intervention is is early intervention is therapy with the zero to three population. And so a passion kind of grew in me for that population. And so at that point, I shifted after about three and a half years to working um, with early intervention. And then I always say that I started working with kids outside in nature well before I actually started Nature's Path OT because Mm -hmm. in the early intervention world, I was taking kids outside all the time. Wow. Wow. So yeah, you have this really interesting history and have had your hands in a lot of different types of settings Yes, and you have this rich background. So 15 years in or 15 and a half years in, you start Nature's Path OT. Tell us why. Well, it was... Everywhere I, I obviously have a transient lifestyle with moving. And so mm-hmm. everywhere I went with being a medical professional, there's always the licensing process and there's the figuring out what are you going to do. And obviously I'm a homeschooling mom too. And I always say that is my primary role and being right. an OT is kind of my second love, but a very close second. Yeah. Um, and so I always was just kind of trying to get hooked up everywhere I went into the early intervention world and doing that process. And then it kind of dawned on me of I had been taking kids outside in nature and it was always on my heart to have a private practice that was built around this. And I thought to myself, well, how beautiful is that to be able to just, I don't have to worry about a brick and mortar if I ever move. Like I can just take this business with me and I don't have to worry about getting hooked up with the early intervention setting or those types of things. And so that's kind of where my private practice began was just with a heart of creating kind of what I felt was laid on my heart of how I wanted to serve kids as an OT. And then I kind of just, I originally started with just building the business because entrepreneurship is not my strength. I will be the first to say that. It's definitely the well, I would side. I would maybe tend to differ. I mean, you're oh, doing awesome things. You're so sweet. Well, I will say I have grown in ways that I never thought possible. I'm sure mm-hmm. that you can relate, Jenny, sure. just with, mm-hmm. with your journey of right. 1,000 hours outside and just the entrepreneur side. But I am growing in ways that I never thought was possible. Mm-hmm. And it's really just grown into a really 
beautiful thing. Yeah, which is so neat for our kids to see that too. I think that's a special part of entrepreneurship is that our kids get to see us grow and try new things and it gives us empathy for the new things that they're trying. So there's a lot of benefits there. I had heard Angela Hanscom. So she's also a pediatric occupational therapist and she wrote that book, Balanced and Barefoot, that a lot of people love. It's one of my favorites. She talks about the occupation of childhood play. And then I was reading through your website and really got a better sense of why it's called occupational therapy and this concept of what is the occupation of children. So can you talk about specifically what is the goal of pediatric occupational therapists and of therapy? What are we hoping that kids gain out of this? Yes. I love that you asked that question, first of all, because I feel like a lot of people don't know what pediatric occupational therapy is. Mm -hmm. A lot of people know what speech therapy is. A lot of people know what physical therapy is. And a lot of people don't know what occupational therapy is. So Mm -hmm. thank you for asking that question. So we can talk about that. So um, often when I say I'm an occupational therapist, the first thing that comes to people's mind is that occupation equals work or return to work. So they'll say, oh, you help people return to work. And while that can be a part of what we do, occupation, actually, I just kind of want to put the definition out there of what the word occupation actually means. Occupation means anything in your daily life that is important to you, like all of the activities that are important to you. And so it can look very different in different settings, right? especially Mm -hmm. between children and adults. But with children, the primary occupation of children is play. And so often when I'm speaking to parents, I talk to them about make a list of all the things that your child wants to be able to do from like the minute they wake up until the minute they go to bed. And it's occupations are all of those things in there. You know, it's feeding themselves, it's dressing themselves, it's all of the activities that they may do for their schoolwork. It's pure Mm -hmm. relationships, being able to play with others. And so that's what... occupation is. And then as occupational therapists, what we do is we look at what are the things that are impacting or impeding function for that child in order to participate in those activities that are important to them. And Mm -hmm. then we help facilitate, equip, adapt, guide, whatever those difficulties are in order to um, promote successful participation in those activities. Wow. And so we use occupation as as a means and an end, right? So like, as an example, what I like to tell families, is little six-year-old Susie might really have a desire to be able to tie her shoes because at circle time in kindergarten, all the kids take their shoes off and then they put them back on and she can't tie her shoes. And that's something that's really important to her, right? And that's an occupation, right? That's something that's meaningful to her. But the reason why she can't do that is actually rooted in maybe bilateral coordination or intrinsic, decreased intrinsic hand muscle strength, right? I could definitely give her some, you know, therapy and have her kind of hold it and do it. And that would strengthen her hand muscles, but we use occupation, the occupation of putting on her shoes and tying her shoes as a means to the therapeutic goal of increasing bilateral coordination, increasing, you know, strength in those hands. And then occupation is also the ends, right? So we're using it as a therapeutic activity, but also it's, it's an end goal of hers. And at the end result is that she's able to successfully put her shoes on after circle time, just like the rest Mm -hmm. of her peers. So that's how I like to describe it to families in a really practical way. Right. It's super interesting, Kim, because I think that's the confusing part is that we tend to look at the word occupation and think of adults. Yes. And even when Angela Hanscom had talked about the occupation of childhood play, bring back the occupation of childhood play, it seems like such an adult word connected with kids. But the way that you explain it makes so much sense. And I think it's an interesting thing for parents to list through what are the occupations of my child? What would give them a successful day? What are the things that they need to incorporate? I know you had on your list taking a bath or shower might be one of them. All of these different things, even sleeping. So if eating themselves breakfast, you have this whole list of examples of childhood occupations. It's an interesting thing to think about. And then yeah. is this what drives families to find a pediatric occupational therapist? There's certain things that their kids are struggling with. What would drive yes. them to search you out? Well, I always tell families, um, I get the question frequently, at what point is it warranted, you know, for my child to get additional services? And basically, my answer always to families is, if we have some sort of developmental gap that's impacting the child functionally, like Mm -hmm. in their daily functioning, their day to day routine, is it impacting their functioning, successful participation in that activity? And if so, if you as a parent, if you feel like it's outside your wheelhouse to be 
able to help and assist your child, that is a reason to seek help, to have somebody walk alongside you, to have an OT walk alongside you, to equip you and help you and educate you of how do you help your child to be able to participate in those activities. Right. And often, you know, just in collaboration with their pediatrician, you know, if there are kind of developmental delays or developmental gaps, it's just that communication piece with the pediatrician. And then, you know, the referral process would obviously take over from there. So So you have this completely unique situation where most of your services you do outdoors. So that's probably what we're going to focus a majority of our time on here, which is cool. I think that's the piece where there's so much education happening through all of the things that you're sharing about what nature is providing for our kids in terms of being able to handle their different occupations throughout the day. So could you lay a little bit of groundwork, and I know these are big topics, about the other yes. senses beyond smell, touch, taste, the, the main I love the questions you're, you're asking, Jenny. These are so awesome. So I want to first say that we kind of just talked about broad occupations and some people might be thinking, okay, so how does that correlate with Nate? You're doing OT outside. Like right. there, this is kind of an emerging practice area. And often when I'm in discussion with people, it's very hard for them to get my their head around that I do occupational therapy outdoors in nature, because mm-hmm. as a society, we have so medicalized all of these services and all of these professions that uh, most people just think that when you get therapy, you get it in a clinic setting mm-hmm. or you get it in a hospital setting. And so to talk about that, I do occupational therapy outside and I address these children's goals outside is kind of a foreign concept Mm -hmm. to people. But where that began is was in my early intervention career. And I started getting children on my caseload and early intervention is in the natural environment of the child. So you're either providing services in the home or daycare or school, or like I was doing the outdoor environment because it's a natural environment for the child. And so what I kept seeing was I just, I was getting frustrated because I kept getting kids on my caseload and I kept thinking to myself, I feel like the majority of the difficulties that they're having would improve if they would just get outside more. And then it kind of dawned on me of why am I just not taking these kids outside? And so that's when I shifted to taking them outside. And so going back to what you said about, you know, this, the sensory system, I love that you asked that question because we do often get children and more and more we're getting children Mm -hmm. with just sensory processing difficulties. And when we're talking about sensory processing, we're talking about the child or the adult even Mm -hmm. who sensory processing is your central nervous system taking in all of the sensory things in the environment and processing it. And then keeping yourself in kind of a state of regulation, right? And so people are so um, familiar with your primary five, which is your your tactile system, your auditory system, your visual system, your gustatory and olfactory, which is your taste and Mm -hmm. smell. People all know about those, but there's also a couple others. And those others are your vestibular system, your proprioceptive system, and your interoception is what we call it. Mm -hmm. And often people aren't as familiar with those three. and Like never heard of them. I mean, I had never heard of them, but they do have very cool names. (laughs) They do. They do. And I try to, I I do for the purpose of obviously this podcast, because I know you have a very large population base of moms and some people are like, what's proprioception? Mm -hmm. What's, you know, vestibular? And so I do want to break those down just for people who are listening and think like, what are those? So when we're talking about your vestibular system, your vestibular system is in your inner ear and it basically is like your head moves movement in space and very lay lay person term. So it gives you a sense of where you are in space. And so, you know, when you're upright or you're upside down or, and it has a linear component and a rotary component to it. And so children can be either very hypersensitive to vestibular input to where these are your kids who maybe get really sick on tire swings, or even maybe with motion sickness in the car, or you can have kids who really crave it. Mm -hmm. They just, your kids who are like constantly spinning in your living room, or they're just like the ones who are flipping all over the place in in the playground. And these children, they are seeking out that type of input in order to basically regulate their central nervous system. It brings a sense of calm and it brings a sense of basically attention. And so that's your vestibular system in a nutshell. Wait, so let's, let's pause there for a second, because 
I think so often we look at children and we think they're misbehaving. They won't calm down, but their body is driven to do this sort of wild play, get their head out of the upright position, which I think is a big thing. I think that a lot of childhood now is spent with our head in an upright position, static, video game, driving to activities, classroom, television, static. 100%. So when these kids are doing these things, it's because their body is driving them. Eat calmness. Yes. And I talk to families all the time about, you know, we all do things in an attempt to organize our central nervous system. You know, when you and I are in a super boring meeting and we're trying to maintain attention and try not to fall asleep, we're tapping our leg or we're tapping our pen and we're giving ourselves that sensory input that kind of makes us remain alert and attend to whatever we're doing. And those types of things we maybe consider kind of more socially acceptable, right? It's not very disruptive. But when children are seeking input like you just talked about Mm -hmm. in an effort to organize their central nervous system, all of a sudden we think something's wrong with it when really it's just an attempt for them to really organize their central nervous system. And they need that input. Mm -hmm. Just like you spoke of, of in a day and age where they're not, they are not stimulating their sensory systems Mm -hmm. like they once were just because of raising a generation of children indoors as opposed to outdoors. And so- Right, because when you think about, this is what I always think, when you think about the things that kids naturally do, especially outdoors, but even indoors, like I remember as a child, we had a second floor in our home. So we would always walk down the stairs on our hands, like head first. I mean, we went down the stairs head first all the time on your hands, sliding down, walking down. I I remember right. Running to the couch, you would run and you would catapult yourself and you would go head first and your legs would hit the wall and you're upside yes. down. And then if you take it outside, I mean, kids are constantly, it's cartwheels, it's somersaults, it's all the tire swing, it's all of these things that kids, that's their natural tendency is to get their yes. head out of the upright position. And so then here's my question. Is that a primary time? It seems like because of all of those movements that kids do naturally that adults don't do, adults are wiggling their legs. Is that the primary time to develop this vestibular sense? Yes. So I I also talk a lot about even within that zero to three range, kind of the synaptic pathways Mm -hmm. and how children literally within the zero to three, is this prime time to develop those synaptic pathways within their brain. So exposure to all of these types of sensory stimulus and just different environments and just different activities. You're literally, I, I, I talk about you're paving highways in yeah. the child's brain. And it's in a sense, in an oversimplified version, it's use or lose. Like your brain basically says, oh, I need these pathways. I'm going to keep them. Or if they aren't stimulated, then it kind of the brain says, oh, we don't need these. Right. And so there definitely is kind of this critical and that, especially in that zero to three, but it's never too late. Right. I like to always talk about it is never too late. You the brain has this beautiful thing called neuroplasticity of the brain. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you feel like you haven't, you know, exposed your child to enough in that zero to three range, it's never too late right. to get out there and just expose them to all of these different, you know, sensory experiences. Mm-hmm. But we think about these, these are childhood movements. It's interesting yes. to think about zero to three, because if I were to look back even further then I have pictures I can think of of my kids, because we're out of that age now, but like where they would stand yeah. and they would touch the floor and their head would be down. Or I remember when they were yes. really little babies, constantly you're holding them and they're constantly throwing their head back. You know, you're in a service somewhere, you're you're sitting waiting for an appointment and they're just, they're in your lap and they're throwing their head back. So it's really miraculous, isn't it? It really is. And it's, I love that you're talking about kind of the inverted head stuff a lot too, Mm -hmm. because I actually have just been diving really deep into adults and our over time, how we stop doing things Mm -hmm. that require our head to be inverted. And one of the things as we age, one of the things that goes is our balance. And so as an adult, even just thinking like challenging you to just like do some somersaults or do some cartwheels or to, you know, do a handstand up against a wall and you will quickly find, you know, I would say I'm a pretty active person, Mm -hmm. but like, even when I do inverted head stuff, like a handstand up against a wall, like 
my sensory system is challenged when I come back upright. I can tell like, I'm not doing this as as frequently as I should, or because we just stopped doing those things as adults, right? Right. I mean, when's the last time you hung upside down on the monkey bars with your kids? Hopefully, hopefully it was just yesterday, but it probably wasn't. Well, it's an interesting thing. I've had a couple people bring that particular thing up. So Carla Hannaford, who's 80 years old, she wrote the book, Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head, which I love that, that subtitle, but she was on our podcast and I was talking about kids spinning and she was like, no, no, no. She was like, everybody needs to be spinning. She says, you should spin every day to the point where it gets you, you know, a little dizzy. And she said, that's going to help you from fall to keep you from falling. It's going to help your balance. And then Michael Easter, who wrote a book called The Comfort Crisis, he was on our podcast and he also talked about that, that when you fall, elderly people, if they fall and they break a hip or something else major that I think it's something crazy, like they have only a 50% survival rate. Yes. It, it's like a broken hit for the elderly is like a very quick ticket to the yes. grave. Yeah, it's it is. It's huge. And our balance quickly goes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's directly correlated to we stop doing activities like that. I'm going to throw but, one more in there yeah. because it just got brought up. Katie Bowman, who has nutritious movement. Yep. She's a biomechanist. Love, her. Love yep. her too. She was talking about how in certain areas, they would have the elderly people in the care settings that they were in, they would be walking barefoot on cobblestone. And then that all that sensory input was helping them as well with their balance. And so it's an interesting thing. I think we can cheer on our kids, but then we should be thinking about it for ourselves as well. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside 50 and use code outside 50 to get 50% off. That's code outside 50 at factormeals.com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. 100%. Absolutely. Because it it definitely plays a role in just the things that end up going into age. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that you also brought up Michael Easter in the comfort crisis, because I actually did listen to that podcast that you did. And I ordered the book, I haven't read it yet. But as I was listening, I wanted to like jump through and scream. I was so excited because he was talking about the portion that he was talking about when he was out in it was the Arctic, Mm -hmm. right? Is Mm -hmm. is that where you went? And he was talking about hearing his, um, his heartbeat. Yes. And I wanted to just jump through and be like, that's interception. (laughs) Like that is what what he was talking about. Because the interception, we broke down vestibular, Mm -hmm. we didn't really get to proprioceptive or interception, but I think it's a good segue yeah. since you yeah, brought tell us about the other one. 
So interception, and I truly believe this is one that a lot of kids nowadays really struggle with. And it is the concept, uh, the physiological and physical condition of the body. So being aware of your physiological and physical condition of your body and the internal organs Mm. and their state. And so what he talked about this, these are things like hunger, heart rate, respiration, you know, knowing that you need to go to the restroom and things like that. And I truly believe that this is kind of the base of the pyramid for sensory processing. And because children have, we have this kind of discrepancy between outdoor time and indoor time, Mm -hmm. when he was speaking of that, about being outdoors in nature and just his in-tuneness of being able to hear his heart rate, I was just like on cloud nine hearing him talk about that. Cause I'm like, yes, that's what nature does for our kids. And that's why it is I believe wholeheartedly it's such an ideal setting, a therapeutic setting for occupational therapy Mm -hmm. goals, because if our kids are not aware of what's going on internally inside of them, Mm -hmm. we cannot expect them to be aware of all of the other sensory things that are going on around them and be able to process that. And those really are correlated then to our children being aware of kind of their emotional state and that emotional regulation piece, because those, they process those internally too, right? And so within my my OT sessions outdoors. Uh, that's a lot of what I'm doing of just bringing kids to a level of awareness of how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Are you here? Are, do you feel your heart rate? Wow. How's your breathing? All of those things to just start there at the base of the pyramid of being in tune with mm-hmm. their bodies because they're living in this world that's just like constant bombardment, right? Yeah. Jenny, of what just like things are flying at them. They're trying to, and so often they just don't have the opportunity to be in the quiet and just be present with their bodies, wow. be present with their thoughts. And it's such an vital part of just holistic health. And so I love that part as far as like interception, that is a piece that is very often neglected when we're talking about sensory processing. And it really is kind of the base of the pyramid Mm -hmm. for all all other sensory processing to take place. So Okay. And then proprioception is one I particularly think about often because what I love about proprioception, I had a well, I always talk about my midwife on here and people make fun, but she had, she no, had talked about years ago, like before I knew anything, she had talked about, she always would say things and I would think they were strange. And then years later, I'd be like, oh, okay, I get what she was talking about. But one of the things she was talking about was having kids, like maybe at these different Montessori schools or things out in the play yard, they would have maybe like a little bridge type thing that you could walk over and they would have kids carrying wood. Can you, you know, can you move the wood stack yes. from here to there and how helpful that was for kids? And so this proprioception, this heavy work, which I think it involves more than that, but I love to see how the different seasons in nature provide different opportunities for heavy work. So tell us about proprioception and why that one's important. Okay. So very simplistically, proprioception is basically sensory input through your joints and muscles. And so people often understand it as what you just said, heavy work. It's when you're really giving your joints and your muscles kind of deep feedback. So it can be through, you know, climbing on things because, you know, you're pulling, it can be carrying things, right? Anything that you're carrying, it can be pushing because, you know, pushing, pulling, carrying, those are all giving your body that and your joints and muscles that really it's basically signaling to your brain, like what's happening and where you are. So that's a very like simplistic term, but I love treating in the outdoor season or in the, in the outdoor environment, because it gives me a new toolbox in every season. Right. I call it like my OT toolbox. Like I get giddy when the seasons change. Cause it's like, I know that there's going to be a whole host of new therapeutic activities at my fingertips, wow. basic examples of when people choose to hibernate indoors during the winter time, I get excited because now I can, you know, throw a kid on a sled and I can have them, you know, hold onto a rope and I can have them pulling themselves on the rope through the snow. And that's deep proprioceptive feedback. I can have them use a shovel and really just like shovel. I loved that as a kid. That's one of my favorite childhood memories is that rhythmic shoveling. And that was working on the proprioception and the sledding, the sledding where you're having to pull your sled back up the hill through the Uh, snow. Yep. All proprioceptive feedback. Yep. That's, it's great. I love the change of season because it really does. There's just a whole host of new activities that you can do. Yeah. And it helps our, with our novelty, our drive for novelty and we want new things and that helps the kids. It helps all of us to enjoy and to have new things to try. So here's my question, Kim. What does it look like when these senses are not built out or built up, not quite sure how you would say it, 
in a way that needs to happen. So it impacts children functioning functionally, right? So if you have a child who either is, let's just talk about, you know, maybe hypersensitivity, for example, to either tactile input or proprioceptive input or vestibular input, this might be your child who functionally, you know, can't tactically can't wear certain clothes. Mm -hmm. And they're just very particular about, you know, certain clothes and which we all are to a certain extent. But when it impacts you functionally is when you can't get out of the house for an hour and a half, because you can't find the correct shirt to wear, or, you know, maybe it impacts you functionally when for the vestibular piece, like the child is, you know, vomiting just when getting in the car and family can't get from point A to point B. And it really just puts just some difficulties on daily functioning Mm -hmm. with the family. And obviously, these aren't always, always related to just like decrease in outdoor time, right? Because there's some kids like who just whether it's physical disability or cognitive disability are are maybe born with just, you know, sensory processing difficulties. Mm -hmm. And it's not a product of them not getting outside enough or any of those things. Um, And I do want to put that out there because, you know, as this movement progresses with, you know, getting kids outdoors in nature, and I love that it's gaining momentum. And it's it's a large part of what you're doing, Jenny, which thank you so much for, you know, the movement that you've created. But Often, I think as this message is kind of circulating, you know, I obviously work with children with some sort of developmental gap Mm -hmm. or things that are difficult. And I think it can be hard for families or parents. So for listeners out there who have children that these things are difficult getting outside with you, because it It is. is, if you have a child, you know, with you know, a physical disability or a cognitive disability or a behavior disability, it can be really discouraging when, and I'm even guilty of it on my IG page of like, get your kids outside for a hike. And you have the parent there who has the child, you know, in the wheelchair and is looking at that. And it's like, it's not that simple. Like this is hard and it is hard. Or you have the child who, you know, is, you know, a fleer because we have some, you know, maybe we have an autism diagnosis. And so going out for, you know, a hike, near, you know, the Missouri River, mom is in constant flight or flight because child will just fling themselves into, you know, the Missouri River. And, and so I want to hold space for that, for those parents who getting outdoors Mm -hmm. is hard. Like it is just really, really difficult. Well, and I was going to say too, I think there would be a, a tendency toward feeling guilty. Like when we have this conversation of how the outdoors helps so much and it does, and it can, but also there could be this thought toward, oh, well, maybe this is my fault. All of this is my fault because I didn't do X, Y, and Z. And that's not the point. And that's not even the case a lot of the times either. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, one of the reasons why I stepped into this space of nature-based OT was we, we recognize the health benefits for children of all abilities. Mm-hmm. We're not just, you know, we're children of all abilities. We recognize the health benefits. And then there was this recognition of like, it can just be hard right. just on a day-to-day basis for families of children with disabilities to get their kids outside. And so it just dawned on me of like, I can help like in my yeah. small little corner, like this is, this is something that I can step into and I can help. And you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but at least I can come alongside families and say, it's not going to be easy, but at least I can be kind of that person that walks alongside of you. I can help you get them outside. I can be that other hand to, you know, grab them as they want to run, or I can be that other hand to get them out of the wheelchair and you get the wheelchair and those, those types of pieces where, and that's kind of why I shifted because we, we know the health benefits for all children of all abilities. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought what a beautiful if I can not only address their occupational therapy goals, yeah. but also up their outdoor time by doing it outside, like that's a right. beautiful, that's a beautiful right. care. It's helping a little bit with lifestyle or giving someone hope or ideas yes. of ways that it can yes. work for them in their situation. Yes. And you had talked about that on your website that where you're at now, because you say you're a military family, so you move where you're at now, you do a majority of your occupational therapy services at a park. Yeah. So in, so we just moved about five months ago for from Great Falls, Montana. Okay. Um, and I did my treatment sessions at Giant Springs State Park, wow. which was what I used the example of by the Missouri mm-hmm. River. It was literally right by the Missouri River. And so I am very flexible with obviously Colorado Springs has no lack right. of, you know, beautiful outdoor spaces. Right. And so I do a lot of my treatment sessions just in a, an open space. That's just kind of like a nature mm-hmm. preserve. But 
I'm also super flexible. I have a kid on my caseload right now whose family actually has property. And so sometimes I just treat on their property because they have a beautiful natural setting and I try to work with the families. And that's um, interesting because it ties back to what you said at the very, very beginning, which is especially for the young kids, you're working with them in their setting. So you would go to their daycare, you would go to their home, you would go to their school. So this is the same. Yep. It is the same. And, you know, quite honestly, I do. If parents do have property or anything like that, I really love to do it there because in the ideal world is I want to equip these families to be able to provide this for their children on the day-to-day basis. And that's something I talk about a lot. I worked in the clinic for a long time and there, I love clinic setting. There's absolute, you know, a, a time and place for clinic services. But something that, you know, always didn't set well with me is that these kids would come to OT and we'd have this ball pit and we'd have this climbing wall and we'd have all this fancy equipment, right? That we're working on, you know, doing, you know, sensory processing with. And then we send the kid children home and we say, oh, try to do these things at home and they don't have a ball pit or, or they're trying to, or financially, they're trying to spend all their money on, you know, making their basement a huge sensory gym, which there again is a time and a place Mm -hmm. for that. But what I love about the natural setting is that everybody has access to it. And so when I can just tell the families, this is a great way to give some good vestibular input and you could hang a swing from this tree Mm -hmm. right here in your backyard. It just makes everything more accessible for them. It makes it a lifestyle, Right. right? Because Home programming is an absolute necessity as far as treatment progress. And so if we're not making home programming doable and manageable for families, then it's really a wash. Like we have to make it a lifestyle and we have to make it easy to implement. And I believe that doing it in the outdoor setting, it just makes it that much more accessible and manageable for families. Right. Because whether it's at their home or it's at a local park, they're seeing how they can bring their family, their child to the local park in a way that works for their situation. And so that's really neat too. I think sometimes, I think when our kids were really young, we're the same, right? We've got these kids that obviously are very close in age. You have an extra one. So uh, we stopped at five. But the the older (laughs) three are under three years apart. And so I had to be very particular about where we went for safety purposes. It couldn't be near a road. It couldn't be near water. It had to be these sort of open spaces that were kind of bounded in. And additionally, I always went with a friend. I never went alone. It didn't feel safe. And you have an extra pair of hands, an extra pair of eyes, someone there to help watch the other kids if you have to put on a Band-Aid. These different sort of systems that you build in for your situation so that it works and that it feels safe. And what you're doing is you're giving these families an opportunity to figure out how that is for their particular situation. Yep, exactly. You summed it up perfectly. And, you know, often families just need that piece, that other piece. Like you said, you always went with somebody. I mean, you did that because it's an extra set of eyes. Right. It's an extra set of, you know, someone who can just be there with you to kind of, you know, brainstorm and collaborate if something right. goes array, right? Like it's just, so I like to do that with families and just having the eyes of, you know, this is for these families. It's their unique right. situation, right? And But I also see kids of, you know, varying ab- abilities. Right. So I can know just certain settings, like whether it would be a good fit or it's not a good fit, you know, based on just my experience with children. And that's a gift to be able to give that to them, to be able to say, this is this is probably going to work for you or this may not. And I guess my point, too, with the younger kids, when our kids were younger, is that a lot of people are dealing with barriers. I guess I don't know if that's the right word or not, but everyone has to do it in their own way. It's a neat thing that what you're doing is you're helping people to find their own way for their own situation so that they're getting those benefits of even if it's just the feel of the wind or the feel of the sunshine or right. all of those things. Also, just having that support system when things go wrong. Yeah. Right. Like, because that can't that can happen. Right. right. And to have just have that support system of someone to brainstorm and collaborate with when things don't go as planned, because just in motherhood in general, we know (laughs) that that happens all the time. But then add the additional layer on top of that of children with varying abilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we maybe have physical disabilities or cognitive disabilities that just increases exponentially, right, right, Jenny? And so just having that extra person to just when things don't go like we think that they go to be like, 
that's okay. Like we can try an alternative way and it's not the end game, right? right? We can just, we can be creative when we can right. problem solve. And I love that you say there's productivity in presence. I have that written down. Yes. And that's sort of, that's what this reminds me of. You're there, you're present, yes. you're maybe with another person, another family. Tell us yeah, about that because I love that phrase. Okay. Yeah. I, I love that too. It's something I've grown into in my private practice of another reason why I shifted is Especially, I, I want to talk about it from a therapeutic side and then just kind of a holistic health side because we in the OT world or any therapy world, especially when it's insurance driven, we can kind of can get caught up in productivity, you know, like where's the measurable goal? And often things aren't measurable. And I believe that wholeheartedly with kids. And when we talked about like the physiological benefits, you know, the, the mental health benefits, decrease of anxiety, decrease in depression, decrease in heart rate, decrease in blood pressure, all of the scientific evidence that's coming from being outdoors, right? But the idea I've, I've talked about, you know, I've, I've wheeled entire hospital beds, Mm -hmm. you know, just outside, you know, of the idea of there's productivity in just being present with yourself and present outside in nature. Mm -hmm. You know, there can be the tendency as a therapist to constantly feel like you have to do, 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 Mm -hmm. and you have to see this, but there's so much productivity in just like sitting with the child in nature because of that interceptive piece that I talked about of like, there is so much happening just in them being present with their bodies and being aware of what's going on in their bodies. Um, So from a therapeutic side, I kind of talk about there's productivity and presence, Mm -hmm. right? And then from a motherhood side, as a mother of six, also, I like, I have to preach this to myself as well. Like Mm -hmm. there is productivity in just being present with your kids. Like you don't have to be doing, you don't have to be going, you can just be present. And so, yeah, I like to talk about that because I think it's, something that we all battle kind of in motherhood. And then also just in the professional world of there's just, there's productivity and rest and restoration, Mm -hmm. right? We all know that, but we all battle it. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com outside for 15% off your first order. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot, and for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120, code OUTSIDE120. 
Well, it's really powerful because I think that we live in a culture where we're trying to optimize everything we're trying to optimize. How can you have the cleanest this and the, you know, I don't know. I was just looking the other day for bedding. Like we just have blankets on our bed and I'm like, oh, we should maybe, I'm like in my forties, like we should probably have cooler bedding. So then I looked on Pinterest and it was like, how to have the fluffiest bed imaginable. And it was just article after article. I was like, I'm sick of my blankets. I'm overwhelmed. I can't even deal. Yeah, Jenny, I was going to say, Jenny, I would have talked you out of that. The Pinterest rabbit hole of bedding. But this concept of we're trying to optimize, and I think that's such a hope-filled message that we can just be, and that is productive as well, that we can be together. Yes. Well, and it's what we as a culture have over time just started to value, right? Like we've just started to value like the getting ahead or, you know, the things that you have to show for your accomplishments, right? right? Success and those types of things when really just that there's productivity in presence and especially for holistic health, right? If we just started valuing that there, that that's what's most important, then yeah, we would, we would start to value that a little bit more about just being pre- not only present with others, but present right. with ourselves, with our own thoughts right. and with how we're feeling. Yeah. It's interesting. I most often interview authors and I get a lot of content <laughs> from their books and I just, there is, I have so much on here just from your website and your Instagram. You're just a wealth of information. You're so sweet. Cause when, um, I'm, I am going to be very vulnerable and honest when I got your message that was inviting me to be, I guess on your podcast, I almost fell over and I immediately thought to myself, I listened to your podcast. So I know that you often have mm-hmm. authors and I've often, you know, read the books of the authors that you have on. And I thought to myself, wow, like I haven't written a book. <laughs> I, maybe I should write a book. You like, should write um, a book. But I mean, I, I know you're busy because you, oh, you have six kids, but I think you should. I definitely yes. think. Congratulations on your book, Thank by you. the way. You are a wealth of hope-filled knowledge. And so, like I said, I have so so much much. more on here. Well, okay. So we've talked a lot about these different senses and it's sort of clear how nature would help a child develop these different senses and give them opportunity and even indoors to a degree too. Katie Bowman talks about that quite a bit is how you set your indoors up that facilitates different types of movements and hanging, put up a hanging bar, different things that we can do indoors as well. But then you go on and you talk about immune system, mental health, grit, Mm. so much more. So I don't pick one, pick something else. Oh man. Yeah. I, uh, that's a loaded question, Jenny. Um, Where should I start? No, it's fine. Um, Yeah. I, the outdoor, again, the outdoor environment, there's so much happening that is just even naturally we talk about nature being the blameless, blameless therapist. And I want to talk a little bit more about that of often, you know, in a clinic setting, you know, you'll, you'll set up an activity for the child, you know, before you go get them from the waiting room, you might set up a puzzle, you might set up an obstacle course, you might do this. And then you go get the child and you bring the child back and the child's like wide eyed. And I'm the one I'm the one who set up all these challenges for them. And I'm the one who is putting them in these situations that are really hard and really difficult. So what I love about the outdoor environment is that like, it's this collaborative um, kind of relationship between me and the child of what nature is throwing at us. Right. So it's like, if I have a goal of, you know, the child, you know, a balance and the child's crossing the, you know, crossing the stream on a log, So if the child's trying to cross the river on a log, all of a sudden it's, we got to get through this together, right? It's not just me putting you in this situation and challenging you. And so we talk about, I really think in the world of therapy, that um, we have this concept called a co-treat and it's often between other disciplines. So sometimes you'll co-treat with a PT or sometimes you'll co-treat with a speech therapist. And it's when you have goals that you could work on together, yeah. right? So maybe you're on a swing and we're working on some sensory input with, you know, vestibular input, but the speech therapist has some, you know, speech goals. So they're working on, you know, expressive language mm-hmm. or something like that. So that's called a co-treat. And I like to think yeah. of, nature as my co-therapist. And so nature is throwing things at us that I can use therapeutically, right? And 
you know, maybe with sensory processing, we have a child who really has some difficulties just with general sensory processing. And all of a sudden the wind picks up big time Mm -hmm. outside and you just see the child's eyes get huge. Like I can't do this. Like I can't, I can't go anymore. Well, all of a sudden I am kind of this collaborative team member with this child of what are we going to do? Like, let's process through it. So I, my, my tagline of, of my business has kind of become like real world environment, real life goals. Like, because that's what it is. Like Mm -hmm. when we're talking about sensory processing, we want this child to be able to process sensory information in the real world, right? right? It's fine if they can process that sensory information within a clinic setting, but like we need to be able to transfer those goals outdoors in nature. Mm -hmm. And so I love that concept of nature being kind of the blameless therapist of the child has like, he can't blame me, right? right? We're just kind of in this together. And the child doesn't really know to blame nature either, right? right? It's just kind of the blameless therapist that kind of throws things at us and it's ever changing, Mm -hmm. right? Which is so good for kids too, when we're talking about, you know, challenges with sensory processing of like the unpredictability of nature and what that provides. I know you talked about that a lot of what that produces when we're talking about grit of the unpredictability. It's just such an amazing therapeutic setting because it's unpredictable, but it's amazingly calming and organizing, right? Which is just a beautiful pair. And so it's an ideal setting. We, I also talk about kind of the attention restoration theory Mm -hmm. and what that provide nature provides. And so when we're working on goals and, and things that are challenging for a child, for me, it's just a no brainer of what like, why don't we put this in the, in an environment that just naturally restores attention, right? right? It just it naturally puts them in this space of having their attention and we can work on things that are difficult. Wow. So yeah, I talk about, I talk about grit a lot about, you know, the natural environment, just throwing things at kids and how that more than anything is so therapeutic. Cause for some of these kids, they were born into adversity, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's, you know, they were born with a condition that, you know, they're unable to walk or they're born with a condition where we have some sort of learning disability or cognitive disability. They're, they're literally born into a world of adversity. And so when we put them in an environment like nature that is constantly throwing unpredictability at them and having them problem solve and having them push through when things are really, really hard, that more than anything is so therapeutic just because that's real. Yeah. Well, it's interesting thing. Like you talk about collaborating with nature and it's giving you benefits as well too. You're out there. And I think then that also rubs off on the parent or the caregiver when we go to appointments with our kids and we sit in the waiting room, we're not really getting anything Mm -hmm. out of that. But what a neat thing that if we have this lifestyle now where we're able to get our child out in different capacities, then it's giving everyone some benefit. And I think that I would imagine that parents, they have a heavy, a heavy burden. If they're coming for services and they are needing help, they carry a heavy burden. And so you're also giving some answers to the parent as well, or the caregiver. Yes. And it is, it's therapeutic yes. for the for the families on multiple levels. Like you said, they're not only receiving the therapeutic benefits that nature's providing that we already spoke of, but also, like I said, just the collaborative effort of things that they might really want to genuinely get outside, but it's right. hard. And so now they have this therapist who can come alongside them at least for once a week. Right. And they know that they have right. that. And um, I also do kind of um, developmental progression baby classes and exactly what you just hit on that was my heart behind that was just the postpartum depression rates in the United States and getting mom babe, the mom baby dyad outside in that first year of life, because you and I know Jenny, like we're moms, like that first year is hard to get, especially when you have multiple, like getting out. And so there's a sense of isolation that comes with motherhood, right? And in that, we know that isolation produces anxiety, depression, and you just kind of go into this hole of isolation. And so getting mom and baby outside and not only that, but nature connectedness within the first year of life of what Mm. you just talked about of it's beneficial, the baby within that first year of life, because what we talked about, about those synaptic pathways, but also for mom of like postpartum, just the benefits of being in community with other, other moms Mm. and then receiving the health benefits that nature provides. Right. Right. And that is the thing. It is one of the things that, and there are very few things like it that 
that benefit everyone. There's very few things that would benefit a six-week-old and a 25-year-old. At the same time, there's very few things that a six-week-old and a 25-year-old would like to do at the same time. But this one, it it hits everyone. And so that is very hope-filled as well that we can really make some great gains in our mental health, in our emotional health, in our enjoyment of life through including nature time. And then I just love what you're doing because you're helping families who have these big barriers to figure out how it works for them. One of the things that you talk about is what are some ways to increase outdoor time that don't involve hiking? Because you have kids that have a walker or they're in a wheelchair or different situations. Like you said, maybe they would be running away or it's a little dangerous or things like that. What are some things that they can do? Yeah. And I, I, I do try to address that because, um, at least on my IG page, it's kind of a hodgepodge of both me as a mom and my kids. And then, you know, my business, I kind of combine them both. And, um, like I said, I want to be sensitive to that because I do think that families of children with disabilities often are bombarded just of like with these families or it's just, it's social media in general, right? right? Like the highlight reel of everybody's life of this is so easy. And, and so they're bombarded with it, but it really, I try to be sensitive to the fact of, I know you talk about people sharing, you know, their memory from childhood mm-hmm. and outdoors and things like that. And I've, I've contemplated that of, you know, one of my favorite memories of childhood was us going, we used to always go on a walk after dinner. My parents would say, you know, to help our dinner digest Aww. or whatever. And, and really when I think back to that, it was just a walk around the neighborhood, right? It wasn't any, it wasn't this grandiose wow. adventure of we're skiing and we're hiking. It was, it's that it was the consistent me going um, on a walk with my families. And during the summertime, we used to just go outside and play basketball on our driveway. And then we would walk to 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee. And that's outdoor time. And it's not grandiose. And it's not anything special. But it's just outdoor time. So I talk about it's, it's more the little decisions that we make, right. As parents of children of all abilities that really add up. And you know, that with your, you know, 1000 hours outside movement and families who actually have ever really truly done it to the end. know it's like the little decisions, right? Yeah. It's nice when we can get that eight hour outdoor day with a ski, Mm -hmm. with a ski day, but really you're not going to hit those 1000 hours. If you're just planning on the grandiose adventures, right? It's just the little, it's the little moment. So regardless of ability, like I like to talk to families about anything they're doing in their daily life, taking it outside, whether it's reading, whether it's playing board games, whether it's just sitting, having a conversation, it's the little things. And anybody can do that regardless of ability. You know, there's on some very extreme cases, whether we're talking about like environmental allergens Mm -hmm. and those types of things, obviously it's difficult. And I want to, yes. And you're really good about that. You do talk about that on your website, that there are, there absolutely are cases where the indoor setting is where it needs to be. Absolutely. And I try to be mindful of that because I never want to come across as like we're pitting, you know, clinic-based therapy against nature-based therapy and this is better or that's better. I never want to project Mm -hmm. that. But for me, that's obviously the the setting that I've stepped into. But I want to be very mindful that I absolutely understand that there are scenarios and situations where it is not an ideal setting. And I also talk about that of I try to not get so caught up in my business model of no, I treat kids outside Mm -hmm. that I I forget to do what's best for the child. Aww. Like I, I've shared before that there one day I had this child that I was, we, we had some, some goals around executive functioning and we were doing something outside. And this is when I was in Great Falls. And if you don't know, Great Falls is a very windy city and it was like 40 plus mile an hour winds and things were blowing over and she quickly became very dysregulated. Like it was a train wreck very, very quickly. And so I had to shift and be like, this is not what is therapeutic for the child right now. I could have just like Mm. dug my heels in and be like, no, we always treat outside. Like this is good for her. She needs to develop grit, but I need to always keep in mind what's best for the child. And so we shifted indoors to Barnes and Noble and we did a great executive functioning activity within the indoor Mm -hmm. environment. And that's therapeutic. And so you always need to remember that to just, you know, always prioritize what's best for the child. And you have that on your website, the therapeutic use of self, which we have run out of time. Yes. I mean, you're a lactation consultant. I, you, I'm going to put oh. out a, a poll, Kim. I think people are going to want you to write the book because we barely, oh we barely got through this here. You have uh, all sorts of programs that you offer. So real quick, can you remind people where to find you? Yes. So you can find me on my website at 
naturespathot.com. Mm-hmm. And on there, you can find all my contact information. You can email me and you can find my phone number and you can reach out to me on there. And then obviously I am also on social media. So you can find me um, on IG at natures.path.ot. And then I also am on Facebook at Nature's Path Occupational Therapy. And I highly recommend people following you in those places because I love to see what you're posting. It's very encouraging. It's like you talk about sort of sometimes these simple things or alternatives to hiking. Or I liked one day you had a post of all the things you had in your van because your van is like your mobile office. Yes. It's true. It's true. It's, it's the, the struggle is real, but I would not change it for anything because, um, I love being kind of a mobile therapist. Well, Kim homeschool mom of six, a highly skilled, highly trained occupational therapist with so much experience. Thank you for taking this hour out to spend with us and to teach us so much. I think this is one of those episodes where people will leave very encouraged and very, it's very thought provoking. Like, oh, what what could we be doing and what is this helping us with? And it helps us to, I think, celebrate more the little things that occur on a day-to-day basis that might just be walking around the neighborhood. Do you want to share anything else or have we have we hit the final question? A favorite outdoor memory? I mean, I I feel like we could talk for hours upon hours, Jenny, but it it truly was an honor just um, being on your podcast. And again, I wanted to thank you for, you know, the movement that you're doing, because um, just as far as childhood development, obviously, that is the profession that I'm Mm -hmm. in. And um, I'm obviously coming alongside families where we're we're dealing with some sort of developmental gaps. And so I just thank you for your movement of just like the message of getting kids outside, because I truly believe that just that movement is preventing a lot of kids from landing in front of me for skilled services. And uh, in that, I just want to say thank you because I think it's a really beautiful movement. Thank you, Kim. This was awesome. You're welcome. It was, it was so good chatting with you. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.